0: This is the Savvy Philanthropist Podcast. My name's Kirk. We are a financial planning podcast for people who want to do philanthropy well. Whether you're a donor trying to do some good in the world, or you're a development officer trying to connect resources with the people who need them, this podcast is all about how to navigate our U.S. legal and financial system in order to make the greatest philanthropic impact you can. This is episode 27, an interview with Dominic Calms, founder of Be Generous. We interrupt your regularly scheduled series on real estate giving, for something a little special. I recently had the chance to catch up with Dominic Colmes. Dominic is the founder and CEO of Be Generous, the first ever fintech company for philanthropy. He was gracious enough to spend some time introducing us to the company and the tremendous impact it can have for donors and charities. And rather than pushing the interview out in a few weeks, I wanted to, get, to you, get it to you as soon as I could. So I'll let Dominic take it from here. This is The Savvy Philanthropist. I'm here with Dominic Combs, the founder and CEO of Be Generous. Dominic, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. As uh, you probably know, the focus of our podcast here is to help our donors and uh, charities navigate the uh, the U.S. legal and financial system, obviously the sort of space that you're working in, Dominic. I hear a lot about Be Generous and the good work that you guys are doing. Uh, but before we get into that, I thought maybe you could give us a quick background, a little backstory on you about how you got in ph- uh, into philanthropy and how you got the idea of maybe combining it with uh, financial tech and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually born in Asia, um, I was born in Hong Kong. Wow. And um, I then grew up in London, England. So I kind of had an interesting sort of childhood. Sure. And then I ended up uh, moving to the United States. And um, <clears throat> I uh, ended up um, sort of, uh, I, li- I lived in Los Angeles, California for a bit, and then New York City, and ended up going to university grad school in New York. Sure. And I went to Columbia University for my master's degree. And when I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living, like a, I think a lot of young people. and sort if of That every- sounds
0: familiar, Dominic, I have to tell you. <laughs>
1: Exactly, yeah. So everybody, you know, most people from my graduating class went to work on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of thought, okay, I guess I'm supposed to do that. So I ended up on Wall Street. And I, um, to 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 you to put it euphemistically, it was not very happy. Um, I didn't enjoy the work, I didn't see the point of the work, and I wasn't fulfilled in day to day work. And But I, you know, they were paying me a lot of money, and I and, uh, didn't have any better alternatives at the time. So I thought, okay, I'll stick this out. So I did that for a few years at two different banks, and um, eventually I decided I have to pursue um, what I really cared about, which was trying in some way, shape, or form to contributing to making the world a better place. I didn't know how I was going to do it necessarily, but I was passionate about it. And so um, I I quit my job at the bank um, to write articles for $300 a pop for a think tank in Washington, D.C. Um, People call that a pay cut. Yeah. I mean, a 99.9% pay cut. Um, I went from, you know, making high six figures to making on a, on a good month, $1,600 a month um, if I was, you know, wow. publishing five articles a month. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I, was, I was broke, um, but I was so happy and I was so fulfilled. And awesome. um, I was writing all these interesting articles about the world and international affairs. And I was passionate about it and I was getting to write a lot about humanitarian work that was going on. And through a strange long series of events, I ended up um, working for the Afghanistan ambassador. And so I became a political... Wait,
0: the, aide, the a- Afghan ambassador to the US?
1: The Afghanistan ambassador to the United Nations. Oh, the, very cool. Okay, yeah, okay. Doctor, his name was Dr. Zaire Tanin. And um, I, I ended up uh, getting connected with him and working as a political aide to the Afghanistan ambassador during the war in Afghanistan. It was an incredibly interesting and, and rewarding experience. And wow. um, that really set me off on my career as a... Uh, someone working in public policy and so i was fulfilled i was working on interesting work it was trying to help the people of afghanistan and this was during the war there as well and um and then i i you know i was was there for a couple years and then i got my dream job i got called by the chairman's office of the senate finance committee um and they asked if um i would i would join the senate finance committee in the in the chairman's office and i thought what an incredible opportunity so i became an associate in the senate finance committee i found myself working on capitol hill with an incredible group of people and this was i think uh during obama's first term um and so wow. you know, interesting things were happening we were negotiating at the time the two largest trade deals in the world tpp and t-tip Obamacare right. was in the process of getting passed and of course the senate finance committee is where all taxes trade and health care get right. uh, get initiated on the senate side so i was sort of in the action so it was a really interesting experience um but after a couple of years there i kind of Felt like I wasn't really um, helping anyone. So you know, the thing about working on the hill is that you, you sort of you're you're willing to take that pay cut from the private sector if you're you know to to be fulfilled and to sort of do the people's work or to be involved in public policy. Right. But you know, at that level, politics is very sort of quid pro quo. So you know, you do me this favor, I'll do you that favor, and that's a lot of how business really gets done at a high level. Sure. And I wasn't feeling, I wasn't necessarily feeling that, and so. I decided at that point that I had been in the private sector for a few years. I had been in the public sector for a few years. And I thought to myself, if there was some way that I could marry the dynamism, resources, drive, and capabilities of the private sector with the promise of the public sector, which is to try to improve the conditions of the world, that right. that would be something that would be interesting. And that's where I'd want to you know, sort of spend my career. So I moved back out to Los Angeles, and I linked up with um, a firm called Global Philanthropy Group. Um, and Global Philanthropy Group was the really the first and and uh, uh, you know pri- one of the first private philanthropic consulting firms in the United States, and so we would run, structure, and advise the philanthropic work for our clients, all of which were corporations, celebrities, and high net worth individuals, um, and um, <clears throat> and we would charge you know, a private monthly retainer. And so think of us like an executive sort of out uh, you know outsourced C level consulting team, but just for philanthropists. So kind of so, like. So a- so, so but not to interrupt, nonprofits. but
0: you're working from the donor side at that point. You're advising no, we, them don't.
1: We, we were working with the, our, our clients were corporations, celebrities and high net worth individuals that had started or wanted to start nonprofits and foundations. Oh, OK, yeah. so they were going to
0: be serious funders, but you were helping them structure how to build out the nonprofits.
1: Correct. And our clients range from you know Madonna and Kobe Bryant to Facebook and Gucci to, you know, the Getty family and the Buffett family. I mean, it was, it was the, literally the top 1% of philanthropists.
0: Pretty cool stuff.
1: And it was very cool. It was incredible. And so um, I was there for several years. I was, I was helping run business development. I was also my own analyst to have my own portfolio of clients. And I woke up every day and got to help them structure these incredible um philanthropic programs and i was earning a private sector wage which was important to me so i was really you know i was sitting at the intersection of profit and purpose which is where i wanted to be sure so um that company ended up getting acquired in 2017 by um another company called charity network and um you know i realized at that point hey this is where i want to spend my life at the intersection of profit and purpose doing good and hopefully doing well so doing well by doing good and um, that's when I started my first company on my own, a company called Giving, which um, has done well and is still around today. And the premise behind Giving, you know, I, I, it was a tech, it's a technology company. I raised a couple rounds of venture capital financing. And the premise is very simple. You know, um, Forbes called us to Shopify for nonprofits. So I'm sure you're familiar <laughs> with Shopify. You know, Shopify uh-huh. is, a, is a digital one-touch solution for instantly launching an e-commerce store. And sure. uh, there are 2.2 million e-commerce stores in the United States. Well, we are a, giving is a digital one touch solution for instantly launching a nonprofit. And there are 1.7 million nonprofits in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know it's spelled GVNG.com. That's the website, GVNG.com. And okay. um, yeah, I raised some venture financing, built this technology company, and ran it successfully for um, six years. Mm-hmm. Until at the beginning of 2021, I came to my board of directors and said, Hey, I'm ready to step out um, as uh, a as CEO in order to. Um, to start a new company called Be Generous. And the opportunity for Be Generous was just simply too big to ignore. And so I'm now the president of Giving and I'm on the board of directors. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it's obviously my first love <laughs> from a corporate <laughs> perspective. But Be Generous has just, you know, just really taken off. And I'm the CEO of Be Generous for the last two years. And uh, it's it was the right decision, I think, to to start this company. And, and um, we, we have this incredibly unique Donate Now, Pay Later product, which I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. But that's pretty much my backstory. That's, that's
0: fantastic. Obviously, a lot of familiarity with sort of the way the world works and finding where the gaps are in that. You mentioned that while you're working at giving, you realized there was this other opportunity I Was trying to step away and start this Be Generous. What was the gap that you saw that you said, you know what, I think I can fill this gap. So I'm going to step away from giving and do this new thing. What was the problem you thought you could solve?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, are you familiar with buy now, pay later companies like Klarna, Affirm, PayPal, Afterpay? Have you heard of any of these? Sure. sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the buy now, pay later space sprung up around 10 years ago. It's been incredibly successful. Incredibly successful. Today, one out of every five online purchases are done using a buy now, pay later loan. That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's just incredible, right? I mean, you're talking about 20% of all e-commerce is done using buy now, pay later loans. Wow. The, the, the CFPB put out a report, this Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, said right. that about 60% of Americans have used a buy now, pay later loan, which is, you know, you're talking about almost two thirds of the country. And um, there's over $100 billion of buy now, pay later loans outstanding. So, I mean, it's just it's just incredibly successful, particularly with younger consumers. So, and and those loans are
0: interest bearing, right? The, the
1: consumer yeah. pays the interest on those. Many of them are interest bearing. Right. Okay. Correct. Okay. So I happen to be good friends with the founding um, COO, chief operations officer of a firm, which is the largest binopulator company in uh, the United States. They, okay. IPO, they IPO'd last year for $24 billion. Very successful. Good for and them. Lending, yeah. I mean, incredibly successful. And they're lending over $5 billion a year in loan volume. They're, they're enormous. Wow. So um, about seven years ago, I was in her office um, in San Francisco and um, she was telling me all about a firm, what a firm does, buy now pay later. I had not heard of a firm before, and I had not yeah. heard of buy now pay later. This was the early, sort of earliest days of the com- earliest days of the industry, and you know the company wasn't was, was fairly new too. Right. And um, and as they were explaining to me how buy now pay later worked, I thought to myself, well, this is interesting. Why couldn't we apply this type of infrastructure to the largest underserved sector of finance in the world today, which is the U.S. philanthropic market? Um, and the US philanthropic market, most people don't know this. I mean, you probably do, but most people don't know that it's essentially the same size as the e commerce market in the United States right. by total transactions, total number of Number of transactions, total volume of transactions. So right. you're looking at this enormous, enormous industry that's been the philanthropic sector. It's been largely largely ignored by Silicon Valley and the big fintech companies, right. and yet it's the same size market as the e-commerce space, which is completely saturated with credit and lending products like Affirm, Klarna, Afterpay, PayPal, Split It, We Pay, you know, and on and on. So. You know, now that you know a bit about my background, you can see why I might think, th- think be thinking that way. Well, and, it,
0: and I'm very interested in your statement that the philanthropic sector is the most financially underserved part of the economy. And, and I'm just I'm going to chew on that a little bit because I find that a really interesting observation. And just as an initial matter, I don't think I disagree, right? There is, right. N- there's not a lot of – it's very much the way it's always been done kind of thing yes and so what you're talking about is bringing in just a lot of the financial innovations that are all around us in the rest of the world and saying how do we import that into the philanthropic
1: sector yeah i mean look the, you can't blame silicon valley like silicon valley exists like at like most industries in the united states to to, to make a profit and to right. return shareholder value to their to their shareholders and the word nonprofit has the word nonprofit in it. It literally <laughs> says nonprofit, right? right? So you can't blame a group of people that don't know anything about these, this industry to to be afraid or to not want to engage in an industry that has the word nonprofit in it, if, especially <laughs> if you're a for-profit. You know, enterprise and your right. your sole, you know, sole reason that a venture capital fund exists is to return capital to its LPs, its limited partners. Right. Um, so, so of course that they're, you know, they they the the, the nonprofit space, though it's enormous, doesn't have the same level of interest from the venture funds, and therefore doesn't have the same level of innovation because people are not willing to fund it. But um, what you do find, though, is for the few instances where there has been innovation in the space, there have been companies that have done incredibly well. Um, you know, look at GoFundMe, for example. GoFundMe just acquired Classy. They acquired CrowdRise. Look at Benevity. Look at Blackbod. Look at sure. um, look at community grants. Look at Bonterra. These are private technology companies that have created innovative products in the charitable space and have done very, very well. The problem is, I can count them on one hand. Versus, you know, I would need you know hundreds of pieces of paper to count the number of um, you know fintech payment platforms and credit lending platforms and payment processors that are out there that are working on the uh, you know the private e-commerce side so well, it's just you know it's just a different mentality but yes it is under the, the nonprofit sector is definitely underserved
0: well that is a great segue to a private company that is trying to import some fintech into philanthropy namely be generous that's one of the companies that you can list on that one hand. Uh, maybe you can give us the quick version of the basic business model. What does Generous provide? How does it serve donors and institutions in the nonprofit space?
1: Yeah, so Generous has created the first ever philanthropic credit product, which instead of allowing somebody to buy now, pay later, allows somebody to donate now and pay later. So okay. using our product, a donor can uh, make a charitable contribution to a nonprofit. The nonprofit receives the donation upfront right away. The donor receives their full tax deduction for the full amount right away, but the donor doesn't pay any money out of pocket today. And instead, the donor pays the donation over three months, six months, or nine months completely for free. There's no interest payments, there's no transaction fees, there's no hidden fees, and there's no late fees. So at the end of the transaction, the nonprofit has the full donation up front in a lump sum, The donor has the full tax deduction right away, but the donor hasn't spent any money out of pocket. And they simply (laughs) take the principle of the donation and pay it off over time. And what this results in is significantly larger donations to the nonprofit because obviously it's much less onerous on your bank account when you're, you know, $200 in a one-time hit versus $200 paid over 10 months is only $20 a month. So people donate a lot more, the nonprofits get the liquidity that they need. And also, if a donor were to stop paying when they're on their plan, right. um, the nonprofit is insulated against any risk because we do not obviously claw back the money. We simply write it off as a loss. So the nonprofit not only gets all the money up front, they keep all the money up front. And, it, and this product is completely free for donors. There's no cost for a donor to use this product.
0: All right, so so um, let me pa- pause there and just, I, I don't want to get over technically here, but I'm a lawyer by train. So just a couple quick questions. You say yeah. that the donor gets the tax deduction right out of the gate. Is that because they're entering into essentially a loan agreement with you such that they're borrowing money from you, giving it to the
1: charity, taking the tax deduction and then paying you back over time? Is that the basic structure? That's the basic structure. We, In order to do this, we raised a $10 million venture capital round and we raised um, a credit facility, a revolving credit facility that allows us to lend over $100 million um, oh. over the next three years. It's from our, our banking partner. Um, Drake Bank, sure. and they you're entering into essentially a loan agreement with Drake Bank on a no interest, no fee basis. So it's, it's literally at no cost to the donor.
0: And, and so I think what I hear you saying is that you're really addressing a lot of the risks to the institutions in this model. What I mean is those write-offs have historically been to the charity because when people don't pay pledges, the charity has to write them off and they never see that gift. What you're saying is the charity gets the full gift right out of the gate, and then any management of those losses is between you and and the donors.
1: That's right. And that's one of the benefits for sure. I mean, the three core benefits of this product are Mm -hmm. what you just stated, which is you're you're guaranteeing the nonprofit all the money up front, right? So you're solving their liquidity problem because you're guaranteeing money in their account now. Two, you're insulating them against any loss, right? Which is what you're talking about. Um, And three, you get much larger donations because people are able to pay over time. So just the average donation values are significantly larger.
0: Well, so let's go from the donor side to the institution side. Um, I'm going to guess that this is a subscription service to the institutions or, or how do you work with them?
1: No, no, this is, there's no fixed costs for the nonprofit in our current model. So currently oh, wow. we do not charge any integration fees or subscription fees at all. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. We only make money on a transaction basis. So um, much like GoFundMe me or classy or pretty much any of the, you know, the major uh, fundraising platforms out there. Um, okay. When a donation is made to the nonprofit, a small percentage of that donation um, is paid to us as a transaction fee.
0: Terrific. And, and you provide all of the tech, right? What I mean is yes. you give them the button on their website and handle all the back.
1: Within, uh, within, within three work. hours of signing up, you can get a donate now pay later button live on your website. Well, that's pretty handy. Yeah. It's very cool. Well, fan- <laughs> so, so really you make this as easy as it can be. I think I think that's fair to say. I think I don't think there's a way it could be any frictionless, any more frictionless right. or any easier. So yeah. I would so, say so
0: then the idea would be the charities would then push this new functionality out to their donor base.
1: Exactly. And- and they're incentivized to do it because right. the average donation numbers are, are much higher. That's fantastic. Um, I'm really interested to learn about this company because I actually know
0: you might guess quite a few nonprofits that struggle with this, and trying to get caught up on tech is something that they know they need to do. Uh, I, for one, will certainly be sending a link around to some folks I know to see how they can benefit from this. I think in some of our previous conversations, you mentioned the company really been growing. You said it's two years old. What's that growth uh, pattern been looking like so far?
1: Yeah, so I started the company two years ago, but it took, you know, in order to raise the, you know, the credit facility, raise the raise the venture capital around, build the company, build the technology, get licenses, a loan servicer and a loan broker in 49 states. You know, all that stuff, right? Incredibly complex, incredibly, incredibly expensive, incredibly time consuming. So we launched the product in the market uh, a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, very new. I didn't realize it was quite that fresh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, live in the market a couple months ago. And um, we have just been growing like incredibly fast. I mean, we're signing up, you know, uh, originally our sales cycle was, we were told our sales cycle would be sort of two to three months, um, which is sort of early stage B2B sales cycle. Currently, we're signing up a nonprofit every 1.9 days. (laughs) So it's essentially every other day we're signing up a nonprofit. In fact, this week, um, we've signed up multiple nonprofits every day. So we're going to hit our 100th client uh, probably within our first quarter in the market, which is pretty wild. And um, importantly, wow. we've, now, um, we're now, we've actually now signed a few clients that are over $100 million in annual donation volume. So some of the really big players are starting to trickle in as well. And again, we've only been live for two months. Uh, That's so it's,
0: fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I yeah. think where I really see this making a lot of sense is a lot of institutions, donors are already accustomed to this level of functionality in the world. And so if they can bring those expectations to their nonprofit giving, it just is more seamless. They're already expecting it. So it's there waiting for them.
1: Yeah, that's right. Thank I you. think that's absolutely right. I mean, this, is, this product is particular, particularly resonating with donors under the age of 40. Um, sure. 67% of Americans under the age of 40 don't have or don't use a credit card. 67%. Um, that's and- crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm 34 and I have a credit card, but I don't use it either because of the late fees, the interest payments, and obviously we're in a rising interest rate environment, so it's becoming more expensive to use a credit card. So, with you know, with with more than uh, with with just slightly more than two thirds of people under the age of 40 not having or not using a credit card. You know, you have to you have to think how do you incentivize donors to give what they want to give, not what they're necessarily historically been constrained to give, particularly if they're not willing to use a credit card, which is going to charge them interest rates. So this is a free credit product for the donor that allows people to to give what they want to give and not feel constrained by necessarily what's right in front of them in their debit, you know, in their their bank account right then and there.
0: So if I hear what you're saying is you have a zero interest loan for the donors, and then you have a zero upfront cost to the institutions, all that's they right. can get set up in three hours. That's right. Sounds like a pretty solid value proposition <laughs> that you're pushing so. out there to folks. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, I think it is. I think it is. Well, well that's true. Well, well, Dominic, this has been very, very informative for me i'm really very impressed with the product that you're pushing out there if some of our listeners wanted to find more information or get connected with you what's the best way for them to do that
1: yeah well thank you thank you for that um so you can certainly reach out to me on linkedin my name is dominic calms with a k K k-a-l-m-s and my um our website is the letter b and then the word generous.com so just be generous.com and um you can also uh email me at dominic at begenerous.com.
0: Well, I will certainly include those links in the show notes on the podcast so people can track that down. Like I said, I will also be pushing this out to some folks I know in some institutions because in a lot of ways, it seems like a no brainer, uh, no upfront costs for an opportunity for folks to make donations more easily. Like I, yeah, I, I think fantastic.
1: I appreciate person. that very much. And uh, would love to talk to anyone
0: you recommend. I will absolutely keep an eye out for that. Well, Dominic, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I'm going to, I'm anxious to push this story out, share it where I can. And uh, thank
1: you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks so much.
0: A special thank you to Dominic for spending some time with me. As mentioned, I've included the contact information for Dominic and Be Generous in the show notes. Definitely reach out if you think Be Generous can help you or your institution accomplish your charitable goals. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you know other people who might find this podcast worthwhile, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating or review for the show on whatever podcast service you use would really help to get the word out about the show. You can find The Savvy Philanthropist on the internet at www.thesavvyphilanthropist.net. You can find me on LinkedIn at the link below in the show notes. And you can follow me on Twitter where I am at RossPlan. Lastly, if you have any ideas, suggestions, or helpful insights, feel free to email me at thesavvyphilanthropist at gmail.com. That's it for episode 27. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll, we'll get back to the real estate with that discussion of a couple of potential problems that might kill an otherwise attractive real estate gift. Until then, remember, do well, then do good, but always be savvy.